This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 362. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 13 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor and Delphinia caught a ride out of the ski chalet with a house-drowling sleigh driver, ostensibly so they could meet Honor's cousin Graham when he arrived at Malin Station. Their actual plan was to send a telegraph to House Hassan, warning the Duke about the drowling's mind-control plot, and then take the train back into the city. Once they arrived at the outpost, though, they found that the police had locked down all outbound forms of travel, even running the only telegraph line up to a huge airship parked overhead. Honor concluded from this that the Drowlings had gotten wind of their escape and had called in their allies and retainers to trap Honor and Delphinia at Malin. Her suspicions only seemed to be confirmed when two of the constables took her and Delphinia aside, telling them that they were expected at the airship captain's table. They rode in a cargo cage up to the belly of the airship, where they were met by a short, lean, and androgynous-looking crewman who introduced himself as Billy. As he escorted them to the passenger section, Billy confided to Honor that he had a daughter in Metamore City, but that he hadn't gotten to see her in a long time. The life that he had chosen was something he'd wanted more than anything, but it was no place for a little girl to grow up. Honor sympathized, but as she thought of her own childhood, she told Billy that there was no substitute for a missing parent. That seemed to hit Billy hard. I don't know if I made the best choices, always. Just made the only ones I could. Ain't you ever wanted something people told you you was wrong for wanting? Of course, Honor had, and she realized that she couldn't judge Billy or the choices he'd made. He'd done what he thought was best for his daughter. Honor urged him to make the most of whatever time he could with her, and hoped she would be understanding. Deeply moved, Billy agreed. She's a good girl, he said. Smart and brave and kind. Awful proud of her, I am. Honor urged him to tell her that, because it would mean more than he realized. Billy promised that he would. Then he led them to a conference room and knocked on the door. A voice answered in Tornish. Then, after wishing Billy and his daughter the best, Honor opened the door and stepped inside. 
Honor Reclaimed, The House of Bellevue, Book 3, by L.C. Williams, narrated by Vivian Ferrari. Chapter 13, An Opportunity. No sooner had Honor stepped through the door than a pair of strong arms caught her up in a tight embrace. Shock and fear flooded through her, but gave way almost immediately to relief. She knew these arms. She would know them if she were blind. You are all right, Natasha said, her voice thick with emotion. Honor leaned her head against the big woman's chest as something tense and painful inside her began to uncoil. I am now, she whispered. Another pair of arms encircled her from behind, and Natasha opened their embrace enough to allow Alex to join them. They pressed their lips to Honor's temple in a quick kiss, then leaned their head against hers. We were so worried, Alex said, and sounded as if they were holding back tears. I was afraid we wouldn't reach you in time. Honor smiled through tears of her own and held both of her dear ones close. But you did she said. They all held each other for what must have been only seconds, but felt much longer to honor. Eventually, Delphinia cleared her throat, rather conspicuously. This brought honor back to the here and now, and she stepped back from Natasha and Alex and tried to get her bearings. The room held five other people, all seated around a conference table. Honor's eyes were immediately drawn to the far end of the room, where a devastatingly beautiful Tornish woman rose from her seat at the head of the table. She was of middle age and tall for a woman, perhaps three inches shorter than Natasha, with dusky brown skin, lustrous black hair that tumbled in waves over her shoulders, and peridot green eyes. She wore a uniform that seemed to borrow in equal measures from the Imperial Air Corps and a pirate captain from the Age of Sail. A navy blue double-breasted jacket with gold epaulets, a white silk shirt with ruffles down the front, dark tights, calf-high leather boots, and a bright red scarf draped roguishly around her neck. Gold hoops dangled from her ears, and a gold chain hung a ruby teardrop pendant around her neck. She had a pair of aeronaut's wings above her left breast pocket. Below this, a brass nameplate read, Vasquez. She flashed a brilliant smile at honor, and there was something quietly amused about the glint in her eyes. Bienvenidos, Lady Honor, Lady Delphinia. I am Marisol Vasquez, captain of the Mariposa, at your service. She gave them an elegant bow, spreading her hand out to one side. Captain, Honor said, and curtsied to her in return. Bundled up in her skiing clothes, she felt clumsy and out of place. I think you know our other guests, Captain Vasquez said, gesturing around the table. Honor tore her eyes away from the captain and saw that she did indeed know them. There was noble Yasmin and Countess Harcourt and another woman whose face she recognized but could not place and... Oh, goodness, Honor gasped as she noticed Duke Thomas sitting quietly in the chair behind Natasha. She gave him a belated curtsy. Your Grace, I'm so sorry, I did not see you there. The Duke let out a low chuckle and waved his hand in a calming gesture. It's 
Quite all right, Lady Anna. I gather you've had an eventful day. Yes, sire, Honor said, relieved. She could still feel the heat of her embarrassment burning through her cheeks like a signal flare, but no one seemed to be holding her faux pas against her. I... Well, to be honest, I thought we would find House Drowling here. Not you, sire. Drowling is, for the moment, contained, Countess Harcourt said. Thanks to quick action by your Miss Volkova and Noble Alex, we were able to intercept Lord Graham and cordon off Malin Station before they could be warned. Honor looked curiously at Natasha and Alex. But how did you know we were in trouble? Lord Graham likes to gloat, Natasha said, smirking. He told me what Drowling and Tyrol had planned for you. Tyrol. Honor felt a flash of anger at her cousin's betrayal. She forced herself not to be distracted by it. It wasn't just for me, I'm afraid. She turned her attention back to Countess Harcourt. You were right, my lady. The Drowlings have used mind magic on their guests. If Lady Delphinia hadn't slipped her crucifix around my neck, I never would have even known I was enchanted. Harcourt looked up briefly at Delphinia. Honor thought she saw a quick flash of approval in the woman's ice-blue eyes, but then turned to the other woman at the Duke's side. Wizard Ereba? The wizard, and now Honor recognized her as the woman who had swept her father's carriage for hostile magic at the ball, stood and stepped over to stand in front of Honor. She drew out her Arthana, and Natasha and Alex stepped aside and gave her room to work. Hold very still, Lady Honor, Ereba said, as she held out the dagger to one side of Honor's head. Honor swallowed hard, took a deep breath, and tried to stand up straight and steady. She could not see what Ereba was doing with her hands, but the woman muttered arcane syllables under her breath, and a series of yellow-green sigils took shape in the air around them. The wizard's eyes narrowed, her brows knitted together in concentration, at last the magic around her faded, and she turned to face the rest of the group. Lady Honor is correct, she said, her voice coming out level and deeply serious. The base layer of the spell is the fifth theorem of Hermogenes, which induces a compliant and obedient state in the victim. Lady Drowling is one of the wizards who were granted access to the fifth theorem as part of the war effort. Duke Thomas let out a sigh. He reached up and rubbed the sides of his long skull, as if he were getting a headache. I was afraid something like this would happen, he muttered. Then, louder, Can you remove the spell from Lady Honor, Wizard Ereba? I can, Ereba said. Honor began to breathe a sigh of relief. But, the wizard continued, There is an opportunity here, sire, one we should not squander. The duke frowned. Explain, please. The working is a subtle one, Ereba said. Those it has overtaken have likely felt nothing as the spell took hold. If Lady Drowling learns that her work has been discovered, she can quietly unravel it from the rest of the victims, and none shall be the wiser. We will never know the scope of what she has done, and her victims will never know that their thoughts have been altered. Some may even take offense at the suggestion that they could be so weak-willed as to fall prey to it. 
her lips curved in a tight, dry smile. Hermogenes's success often lay in exploiting the belief that his targets were too strong or clever to be conditioned in this way, as if strength or cleverness had anything to do with it. Harcourt was nodding thoughtfully now. We need a way to catch her in the act, to reveal the spell's workings to all of its victims at once, in the same way that Delphinia revealed it to Wanna. Yes, Countess, Erebus said, inclining her head to Harcourt. I can insert a working of my own inside the spell afflicting Lady Honor, a time-delayed counterspell. We can use the sympathetic link between her and the other victims to touch all of them at once. If they are all close enough together, the counterspell will pass between them in a chain reaction. The spell will collapse in an instant, and all of the victims will know they have been attacked. Like setting off bomb in minefield, Natasha suggested. Araba's eyebrows arched. Well, yes, in fact, very like that. Alex frowned and took a step closer to Warner, putting a protective hand on her shoulder. So you're sending Lady Honor back into the minefield to be your sapper. Forgive me, but that seems unfair to her in the extreme. I'm afraid I agree, Duke Thomas said. If we were to send her back to suffer mind control for a second time, we would be complicit in Drowling's crimes. Wizard Araba made a frustrated noise. Hmm. Then they will escape punishment, sire. If Lady Honor is the only victim to come forward, then it will be her testimony and mine against the Viscount of LaSalle. You know what the Council of Peers will say to that. Thomas nodded his equine head slowly, regretfully. Honor knew what they would say, too. It was too little evidence to support the gravity of the charges. The penalties for using black magic in peacetime were severe— and the council would not permit one of their own to suffer punishment on the word of an untitled lady and a wizard of common birth. To her surprise, Natasha spoke up. What if Lady Honor could be protected? She gestured at Delphinia. Like with you three. She lets Drowling think she is controlled, but she is not. For this to work, Lady Honor and I would need to return together, Delphinia said. We only have the one crucifix, and there isn't time to craft another. Da, Natasha said, but maybe there is something else. She reached into her pocket and pulled out a very familiar-looking jewelry box. Honor's heart fluttered as Natasha opened it up and drew out the butterfly amulet. At the far end of the table, Captain Vasquez let out a low, knowing chuckle. <laughs> oh, yes, she murmured. Very clever, Miss Volkova. Brilliant, Alex murmured. Noble Yasmin said nothing, but flashed a broad grin. Honor was surprised and puzzled by these reactions. How did they all know more about her mother's necklace than she did? Had they seen one like it before? How will that help? Honor asked Natasha. Natasha gestured with the amulet to the group at large. This butterfly shows you your true self, who you are on inside. She looked over at Yasmin. It showed you that you were woman inside before you took the curse. Yasmin's smile became even broader. Is there that? she said. 
Natasha turned to look down the length of the table, facing toward the captain for some reason, or perhaps just the group as a whole. It showed Honor's mother that she was only attracted to women, she said. This was why she was unhappy in marriage to Lord Bellevue. Honor blinked in astonishment. Who told you that? Mabel, Natasha said, one corner of her lip curling in a smile. She has interesting stories, and she knows more than you think. Honor had no idea what to say to that. Natasha let the silence hang for a beat longer, then continued. Mind control tries to make you think you are something you are not, she said. She held up the amulet again and shrugged. I think something that reminds you who you are should help, da? Wizard Araba was peering curiously at the amulet. Could I look at this? she asked. Natasha looked at Honor, who nodded. She passed it over to the wizard. Araba cradled the butterfly in her hand for more than a minute, tracing her fingers over the stones and loops of metal, muttering softly under her breath. Her eyelids fluttered as if she were in a trance. At last, Duke Thomas spoke. Is it as she describes, Wizard Araba? Araba's eyes snapped open once again. There is power in this amulet, she said slowly. But it is no human enchantment. Unless I am quite mistaken, this is the work of the gods. She looked down at the butterfly, then reverently handed it back to Natasha. Duke Thomas looked back across the table. Noble Yasmin, you know this artifact. Si, tu gracia, Yasmin said. I think it will do as Senorita Volkova says. Good enough, Thomas said. He turned to Honor. Lady Honor, I will not command this of you. Still, if you are willing, you could do a great service to Metamore. Honor lowered herself in a full curtsy. I am willing, Your Grace. Very well. The Duke gestured to Natasha, and she stepped forward to face Honor. Alex was still visibly unhappy about the plan, but there was a deep respect in their eyes as they drew back giving Honor and Natasha some room. Honor opened her hand to take back the amulet, but Natasha did not give it to her. Instead, she spread the chain of the necklace wide above Honor's head, then paused. Honor looked up at her, her heart thudding in her ears. Natasha's storm-gray eyes stared back at her, molten with desire. No one behind her could see that look, but Honor felt as if she could drown in it. Remember our agreement, Honor said, her voice low and trembling. Natasha smiled gently. I have never forgotten it, she said, and I am ready. Then she slipped the chain over Honor's head. And that's the end of Chapter 13. Come back next time when Honor and Delphinia join the wizard Araba on a mission to save the council. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www. 
www.authorlcwilliams.com. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, The person born with a talent they are meant to use will find their greatest happiness in using it. So, let's see what I've been doing with my talent this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 17th through December 23rd. I wrote 3,581 words this week, over the course of five hours, for an average writing speed of 716 words per hour. I wrote on six out of seven days this week. This week I continued my practice of writing just before bedtime, and had good success in doing so. During the daytime, and even earlier in the evening, there are always other activities competing for my attention, but when I go downstairs and get in bed with my laptop, there are no other items on the to-do list. Sure, I could distract myself with social media or news articles, but for the last couple of weeks at least, I haven't found that to be a temptation. The amount of time I've spent on these writing sessions varied from as little as half an hour to as much as an hour and a half, depending on how early I was able to get downstairs and how early I had to get up in the morning. Past experience has taught me that I need to be careful to get enough sleep, or everything else in my life tends to suffer the consequences. For the last couple of weeks, though, I've generally been able to get seven or eight hours of shut-eye and still get a few hundred words down, and that adds up. I've just finished chapter 13, and the manuscript is over 36,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.